is by Bossy Edom, produced by Ken Rich at Grand Street Recording, with C music from John Swan. The song Liars Are Four is by Sleep Station, featuring Katherine Allison as Karen, Emily Wolf as Marsha, and Jackie Selegy as the mysterious girl. They sat silently for a full minute not even thinking to look at one another. Marcia turned off the digital recorder. A tiny beep echoed throughout the room, as if this were a cathedral, its empty synthetic tone returning to her ears with countless permutations folding into itself, closing this chapter of her life with all the urgency of waves receding to low tide. It had been inevitable. We all must one day, be laid bare. Why else would she have signed what she knows she signed? All that Marcia had between herself and tangles of seaweed with jagged shells was this beep, still lapping in her head. For a brief moment, she would have done anything to hear it again. This is the person she had become. The one she always was, the one who chooses to kill rather than disobey an order. An ant in a colony. A murderer with useful pretensions. Someone who lacks the strength to change the world. The realization of weakness. Proof she'd been asleep her entire life. She signed those papers because she was desperate to wake up. All dreams must end must grasp that moment when an alarm becomes part of a dream. Each instance of its beep flooding her reverie with reality. She is awake now. Milton needs soldiers, and he knew what she was. Marsha wouldn't dare ask him how. Do you regret it, joining the agency? No. She replied without thinking, as automatic a response as breathing through the night. This is who I am. Marcia. Milton ran a hand down his balding head, a tick when he searches for words. I'm sorry you had to go through that. No one should have to see what you've seen or make the decision you had to make. It was never supposed to be easy your assignment, but we needed your scientific expertise in the field, and I'm sorry that we've lost it. This was supposed to be relatively low risk, in my judgment, and the committee agreed unanimously. That wasn't quite what he meant to say, and she was obviously unmoved with a stony glare. He reset himself with a deep breath. Your statement neglects a key fact, Marsha. Agent Bill Carlton attacked you and Agent Bratton. They fired indiscriminately and gave you no chance to surrender. Then what does that matter when you tell us that this lem will kill millions of people? They worked for this agency, Marsha. As much as you or I. And... 
They know what they signed, right? Your actions were justified. They were impressive, and not just to me. We lost so many good agents. How could some drug be so important that this doesn't shut down the agency? This agency survives because we still have good people like you. It survives on the backs of good people like you. There are so many innocent people to protect, so many enemies who would destroy everything and everyone we love in pursuit of profit. There is so much to explore. The nexus between mathematics and reality, science, and the limits of human capability. There are still so many frontiers so dangerous that we must pursue them alone for the common good of everyone who has ever lived. That is what you signed up for, Marsha. And my only job, the only reason I'm here, is to make sure you never lose sight of that. Marsha felt something urgent, as if she had been trapped on a highway and the only exit had come into view. Milton? Marsha stood with her chin in the air. I would like to tender my resignation from the agency. Milton smiled. I knew you were in there somewhere. Milton pressed the button. Beep. Care to say that again? I'm tendering my resignation from the agency. Her voice almost broke. She thought, or maybe not. I'm not going to accept your resignation, Marsha. Your life and the mission were in danger. You were ordered to help us continue our surveillance of the Lem Gang. And that's exactly what you did. You could have died in that warehouse. You did whatever was necessary to save yourself. The agency did the same thing. So, what's going to happen to me? Marcia was numb. Her surge of conscience dissipated. Her confidence scattered. Milton believed she meant something to him, beyond her usefulness. What will happen to you? He shook his head and slapped his palms against the table, sending a quill rotating in its basin. Milton rose, facing the window, a craggy hill dipping into murky water illuminated by the first blips of sunrise. I'm not putting you on the front lines of a war. I know you're a scientist. A biologist. A biologist. But I also know that you have a unique set of skills. You're an asset. He walked back to the table and switched off the recorder. I would tell you everything if I could. Don't think... Milton shook his head, eyes on his folded arms rather than Marsha in front of him. Just so you know, if it helps you too, I agree with the rest of the leadership. We have to track that group. We have to see how far they get. Milton's almost ashen voice began to break. We lost so many good people yesterday. We didn't give you and Agent Bratton permission to kill them because they weren't following orders. We did it because when we decide to put your lives on the line, that means our mission is more important than any of our lives. That is why we follow orders. 
That is the entire job. And that is what it means to serve your country. Agent Carlton certainly wasn't serving you or our country, just his ego. And now he's dead. He was a great man. But because of what you did, I wish I could tell you how much this means, Marsha, but trust me when I say that this is important and that our lives are important and that they are worth our cause. Yeah, now he's dead. We can't just talk this over in your cabin, right? This is going to be a big deal, isn't it? Like hearings, investigations, and that kind of thing. It's a scandal. Worry about your own job. Don't bother with mine. And what is my job now? Therapy? Not quite, Marsha. I have a new agent. The hearing for a promotion is a few months away. She's a sure thing, though. I'll have her working out of a new office, and she doesn't have a partner. And listen, I know you're tough. And I know you can handle it. She'll need someone like you. I get it. I get it. Marsha was vaguely humiliated by Milton's diligent efforts to spare her feelings. She'd always warned herself, she thought, not to come off so sensitive. No guns this time. A lab team. You handle the science. Your partner will be a product manager, focusing on situational analysis. After all the training, everything we went through in the field, and now this. All of that was leading up to me supervising science projects. Can I ask you something, Milton? She didn't give him time to answer. Any DEA lab tech could do tests on drug compounds. I've never worked undercover or in a police operation or with heavy weapons, and you made me think that I was equipped, like I could handle it. You did handle it, Marsha. You did a hell of a job. So you won't answer my question? I can't. A few moments of silence, lost in thought. Milton drove Marsha home with the radio barely audible, crooners singing ballads, until she could not get the blood in her hair out of her mind. Tell me about my new partner. Stars, headlights, and the whoosh of traffic around them. Well, Karen James remembers everything you tell her, every look you've ever given her, and she probably even knows what you're about to say. That can be terrifying. You know, Milton, we've been listening to this long enough that... I know. I know. It is kind of terrifying sometimes. Her recall is something else. No, it's... It's how well she knows me. And how it feels like I'm really seeing her for the first time. Chapter 8. <laughs> Simon knows I love to write. He was in our office, apparently going over a box of receipts with Marsha. She told me that when he walked inside, she shushed him like a baby. I was lost in a notebook, writing a report on the actions I had taken so far hoping to convince them, well, Milton, that I was ready for a second project. 
I was busy enough, but there was something about having training wheels on. I thought of it often, not just at the end of the day or when I was feeling suspicious or angry. It ate at me, the idea that I could be doing more, that I was building a half legacy. Anyway, apparently in that musty Brooklyn basement, I was humming Christy Lane to myself as I handwrote a product outline. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. Marcia said that Simon looked over and smiled at me. Then a few seconds later, he looked up at me again, for a bit longer, and smiled wider, sort of how you might grin at a young boy playing with matchbox cars. When I think of our time in Brooklyn, that day, that little anecdote from Marsha is what I remember. Simon was never a happy man, and when I think of everything that happened before that day in the office and the journey we lived afterward, I can't help but feel thankful that he had this feeling, if only for a moment, that everything would work out okay. It's only now that I understand what Marsha was going through and her questions about who she had become. I don't know what Milton was thinking sending her to me so soon, but I guess he figured that it worked. She was a model agent. She should have been checked out. I would have been distraught. I hope, but she was so present with me. Like product management at the agency was all she ever thought about. And now I know that the alternative might have destroyed her. Just imagine Marsha on leave, brewing a cup of tea at her granite kitchen island, gripping a mug with both of her palms, and breathing in deeply as a cloud of vapor rolls up her forehead while she thinks about being capable of killing her friends because someone told her that she was allowed to. I need to tell you something that will sound strange. When I looked into Elba's eyes and spoke to her, I could feel myself changing. She was like a child angel, her eyes pleading with me to show her something, anything, and then they wanted to know how to make Simon happy. I wish I would have learned earlier so that I could have told her. Some people are empty even when they are happy. But if they learn to accept themselves, they discover that sadness, absent despair, can fill us in. Elba, what is new? He asked after listening to the high-pitched whirr of her eyes as they changed from gray to a deep, steady orange. I am growing. She replied, looking down at her body, whose circuits were covered by metal plates, some of which were coated in a soft rubber. That is correct, Elma. Your neck area is complete. He said, touching her neck with his middle three fingers as he sat at her knee on an operating table. Your shoulder joints are enclosed and padded. He said, pressing his fingers into her shoulder. Your chest plate is complete, he said as she watched him place three fingers against her rubbered breast, a bit more gently than before, 
your abdomen is still exposed, but all the connections are ready for a plate. He pointed at two bundles of wire running down either side of the circular metal cover patched on where her belly button should have been. Your upper legs are ready for plates, he said, pointing at latches where her exposed wiring and chipboards would be covered. And note that your crotch area is nearing completion, he said, pressing three fingers against the tan rubber between her legs. He looked up at Elba and seemed to start back with a gasp, wiping a thin air of sweat from his forehead with his right hand. Then he looked at the hand, stammered, and wiped his dry forehead with his left. And, um, feet? Uh, the, the hinges are stronger. Elba flexed her ankles forward and backward. Yes. Stability is improved. 61% more stability. I am growing. The new ankle brace makes me 1.3 inches taller. Growing. Right. He stood behind a diagnostic computer holding an absurdly long printout that was upside down. What is next? He said, bouncing to the balls of his feet. He reached beside her on a silver tray and produced a black and red tube about six inches long and two inches wide. I have taught you about entanglement, right? particles, even if they are separated by a massive distance, can interact with each other instantly if one particle is measured. But it's impossible to communicate that way because we humans, well, <laughs> well, we can't tell a quantum particle what to do. But I, I had this idea, Elba. Your idea is that if you gave me many different forms of logic, and I could make difficult decisions by associating each option with the spin of a quantum particle. Then, then I could simulate consciousness within you. Elba, how did you know that? He was stunned silent. She didn't answer. No, really. He was speaking to himself. How could you have known that how can you are my creator i made decisions when i was building you his fist bounced in the air as he circled back to the operating table and you can analyze those decisions and based on them you can predict how i might solve a problem but his face soured how did you know i wanted you to have consciousness. Because you love me. And you want me to be like you. The air in Simon's lab was dank and heavy. Dust floated freely from the tarps, blanketing disorganized piles of equipment toward the back wall. Slivers of natural light were filtered through slits and grates but Simon bypassed the room's built-in flood of fluorescence with a series of lamps that gave the room a dull coat of clear yellow. Simon walked to Elba's side and, for the first time, embraced her, his chin on her shoulder, arms around her back, hand on her bare head. You're a miracle, he whispered into her neck. He slid a covering off the back of her neck slowly with his right hand, 
so Elba knew what was coming. Behind her back, he moved the cylinder to the hand and placed it against the now-exposed entrance to her head. He spun the cylinder slowly, so its grooves matched up with hers. Simon pulled back to look into her eyes. If there was a scientific purpose for that? I'm not sure what it was. Our scientist had long since stopped addressing the tape recorder, and all I could hear was heavy breathing. He held her tight, and she did not say anything. Then he pushed it into her head bit by bit as Elba's orange eyes flickered and her mouth came open. There was a click, and he reflexively addressed the recorder, which lay on a tray beside the table. The logic membrane has been placed, waiting for installation. I was at my desk in Brooklyn that morning, and I don't remember what I was doing, but I had a daydream. I was at a party, wearing a loose tank top and tight black pants. I looked down and my toes, bare and heeled sandals, were painted blood orange. This had to be high school, senior year. The party was at a railroad apartment in Boston. A bead curtain tinkled in a haze of smoke as a young man with ratty hair and big blue eyes stumbled into the spare drafty room at the far end of the apartment. Here, the whining tones of electronically enhanced singing were made a whimper by the dull reverberation of bass off the floorboards and against the windows. Hey, uh, I noticed you aren't drinking anything, so I got you this, the boy said. It took a few moments before I realized he was talking to me. I sniffed the red cup, and it was like fragrant old socks. Did I ask for this? I snarled at him. It was high school, you know. Before he finished blubbering out his reply, I noticed a girl in the corner sitting on the windowsill, picking at her nails. Hey, there's a long line in the kitchen, I told her. She looked afraid that she'd missed the first half of our conversation. Do you want this? I walked over to her and she sniffed the cup just like I did. No, I have never had it before. Yeah, well, most beer is okay. Don't let this sour you on it. I need bourbon and you need a gin and tonic. Hey, you. Taking our order here or what? I turned back toward the boy, but he was already gone. I sighed. Well, you don't want to be sitting in here by yourself. Let's go get something to drink. She nodded and came to my side. The girl was short. The top of her head was at my shoulders, but she was cute the dark blue hooded sweatshirt, black jeans, and a dash of red lipstick. I never noticed her around school before. That was probably true of dozens of short, pale girls. This one had round cheeks, a tight circle of a mouth, and a sort of perpetually downcast expression beneath her unkept eyebrows. Her curly hair was dyed a pinkish red and sat on her shoulders. I somehow felt as if she were under my care, she was moving a bit too slowly, though, so I grabbed her wrist and pulled her past the beads and into the next room of the railroad apartment, a sparse bedroom illuminated by mostly melted candles. The music was getting louder. 
Hey, so what's your name anyways? She looked at me. I could tell she heard, but she didn't answer. Not supposed to be here, huh? Don't worry. I was just like you a couple of years ago. Well, maybe not just like you. More beats, and we were into the living room, where a few people danced and more talked in pairs. From there, though, we could see the kitchen, a snaking line and an impenetrable din. Check it out, my friend. Everyone has the same red cups. Do you think it's all beer? She didn't answer as I stood on my toes to see into as many cups as I could. Okay, normally I tell you to deal with it and we're shit out of luck, but I swear I will not take a sip of that swill. Pointed to the cup still in her hand. Problem is, this is Victor's place. You see him over there in the corner? The girl nodded when she saw him, posted up against the wall telling a story to three guys. See, Victor doesn't hate me, exactly, but he definitely would not go out of his way to get me a drink. You see what I mean? But he's the only one in here with a real glass, and whatever he's drinking is definitely dark brown. I turned to face her, grabbed her little shoulders with both my hands, and squeezed. Do you know Victor? She shook her head. So someone else invited you here? Huh. Well, you're pretty cute. She blushed, and I rolled my eyes. I'm saying if you asked him, he would definitely get us something. How would I do that? You know. (laughs) Flirt with him a little. Come on, I'll help. I took her wrist and pulled the girl over to Victor. Hey, Vic. I said, lucky to catch a moment of silence between the guys. The rest of them split off into their own conversation. Oh, hey, Karen. He replied with empty eyes. Victor had dark curly hair and olive skin. His facial hair was just getting to a place where it might be presentable outside of high school. I didn't even realize you were here. Yeah, well, my friend over here is pretty shy and she wanted to meet you. Oh, hi. He managed not to stumble forward. I'm Victor. This is my place. Thank you so much for letting us come over. It seems like everyone is having a lot of fun. Ugh, he didn't even ask for a name. So, why did you want to meet me? I, um... I cringed, but she kept going. think you are pretty cute. And so you would definitely get us something to drink. Like a gin and tonic for me. And bourbon for Karen. I smiled so hard at this tiny girl. You know what? He said pretty earnestly. I am that cute. Come on, I got a stash under my dad's bed. We went somewhere else. To a different time. It was another party, this time on the large roof deck of a luxury condo overlooking the Charles River. I was looking over the railing at the traffic and water below, mesmerized by the ceaseless asymmetry of their movements. Then I turned to my left and it was her, the girl, about 20 feet away. She smiled at me, but it seemed filtered through some sadness. Hey, how are you doing? I called her as I pulled at gum between my teeth. 
She took a long time walking to me before she could answer. Hi, it is nice to see you again. Uh Uh-huh. I replied looking back at the condo where everyone was in their high school dress clothes and conversing with perfect posture. Still don't have a name. She looked uncomfortable. Oh, yes, I do. It's... Don't worry about it. It's better that I don't know when your parents are interrogating me. I winked and she shook her head and smiled. So what's going on? You look like something's on your mind. There is a boy in there. I see him from time to time, and he talks to me sometimes. But I don't know how to show him how I feel. And now he is talking to another girl who does know how to show him that. It was like her body deflated. Normally I'd say something sarcastic, but it just melted out of me. For a moment, I really thought she might cry in front of me. I wasn't really comfortable with people's emotions like that, so I started talking fast. Hey, that's exactly the kind of girl guys like around here, you know? He likes talking at you, he probably thinks you're fun to look at, but once we show that guy that you could be more to him, he'll feel like, well, like he found you. So, anyways, which guy is it that we're talking to tonight? She turned and pointed at this lanky, skinny guy with sandy brown hair. Oh, Scott. I looked at him and then her again. Yeah, I could see that. Come on, no reason to waste time. I took her hand and led her through the sliding door back into the apartment. Miles Davis was playing and dissipating clouds of smoke wafted through the air. Hey, Scott. I came between him and the other woman who had momentarily looked away. He seemed a bit annoyed, but didn't put up a fight. Yo, Karen, queen of the left wing. How's it going? Andrea's condo is awesome, right? Dude, her dad is gone all weekend. He hadn't even looked at my new friend, so I turned to her. Oh yeah, I played field hockey. By the way, sort of a big deal at left wing. Oh hey, what's going on? He bent his knees a bit to speak with her. Calculus is starting to get pretty hard this year, right? I mean, that midterm was fucking cruel. Yes, the textbooks are quite unclear on some points. They had already lost my attention. Danny Tavares had just walked in, and he was somewhat of a minor obsession of mine. He was the sweeper for the boys' team, and I loved him freshman year, and long story short, he asked me to a party with him back then. That wasn't really my thing at the time, and I told him I wasn't into drinking, and he wrote me off as lame. I mean, he knows I drink now, but I never recovered from that. And here he was, walking into the one party where he would hardly know anyone. That kind of feels that way for me too, right, Karen? Scott pulled me back into the conversation. I looked at the girl, and she seemed nervous, but hopeful. Like she knew I'd pick her up if she stumbled. But Danny Tavares would never want to talk to this quiet girl in a sweater or Scott Contrino. Totally, Scott, I said, looking behind my shoulder. Sorry, you two. I've got to go take care of something with someone. Let's talk later. On the way to Danny Tavares, I brushed past the girl who'd been with Scott before we cut in. I made sure to look back over at them while Danny was laughing at one of my jokes. That girl and Scott were smiling and talking again, and my friend was nodding absently off to the side. 
as if Scott and that girl were in a circle with her, but they'd forgotten she was there. Marcia shook me hard on the shoulder. Jesus! Karen, are you okay? It's like you were sleeping with your eyes open. Dance, Simon? Ella asked once her eyes stopped flickering. Uh. Simon was confused, but he enjoyed feeling that way so he could say he had a theory. I suppose complex movement may help initialize the membrane, uh, accustom it to simple decisions. That's probably why you've had the urge to perform a repetitive task. Elba haltingly walked towards Simon, and he held her close. I have taught you about the waltz, haven't I? I have waltz files, she replied. He made up a song with his mouth and stepped forward, then back. He began to smile as he moved his hand to her lower back. Oh, Elba, this feels so real, this motion between you and me. This is... Just an amazing technological breakthrough. 
Elba's body seized and her mouth whined. Red gel popped from between her joints, but she could still hear. For a few moments. At least. Oh no. No. Oh no. Damn it. No. This isn't happening. This isn't happening. I told Marsha I was fine, but she looked at me askance. It's a big day for us. I understand if you're a bit distracted, but by the end of the night, your first field report will be on file with the agency. This is what you've always wanted, right? God, I sound like such a bitch. I didn't mean it like that, okay? Anything else you'd like to add here? No, I just wanted whoever's listening to know. In my mind, it's a simple equation. It's all I have to do to let you go away from here in my mind. It's a little persuasion. Someday I know you will come back to me here and I'll be fine. Pretty, pretty good, Marsha. Right? 